I ask for the anointing to come upon me and to rise up from within me, the Holy Spirit in me, that you would come and anoint me to preach your anointed word today, and that every hearer would hear what you have to say to them individually and corporately in this house this morning, and that we will all be changed for the better as a result of it. I ask that today for you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. So Ephesians 6, 12 this morning reads like this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's a lot of stuff going on there, isn't there? A lot of wickedness. So this is our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. And Paul here is talking about a well-organized army. And the Greek word for this is archaic. A-R-C-A-I-C, archaic. The Greek word, it means our overpowering ruling demonic powers that shape cultures and the way we think, believe, and even act. Wow. Paul also told us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And the Greek word here is schema, S-C-H-E-M-A, schema. It means well-laid plans. The devil is not stupid. It will influence the heart and minds of people everywhere, and we see it happening right now. Would you agree with me this morning? People, if they yield themselves to the devil, certainly can make decisions also, but many of the things that we see going on in people's lives, especially now, are influenced by this schema, the schemes of Satan and the demonic forces and power behind all of it. Satan comes as an angel of light. His demons influence many around this nation and around the world. The coronavirus is real. It is real because we even know people personally now that have been dealing with it. The gentleman we prayed for last week in California did succumb. He passed away. Um, probably a blessing in the long run because of his other conditions he had, but he did not make it. And I just found out a few days ago that my niece in Hastings, Minnesota, who's a nurse at the uh, uh, Treasure Island Clinic down there treating the people at the clinic uh, on the island, uh, she contracted it. She's over it now, and I guess she had a lot of bad... Uh, you know, aches and uh, diarrhea and things like that. But it's, it was really, in a lot of ways, like the flu. But, of course, it's going to impact people differently. So it is real out there. But even in this time of COVID-19, I am being told that people who filled out paperwork but were never tested for COVID-19, they, they filled it out and there were so many people waiting to be able to be tested that they went and they thought they'd come back at a later time and have it done. But before they got back, 
they received letters saying that they tested positive. Now, how does that happen? <laughs> but they never took the test. So that's a real bad mix-up, a real deception, or whatever that's going on with that. And then one person, another who was listed as a COVID-19 death, was actually a drowning victim. This is deception and a lie. It's all over out here. It's in everything that there is. It's running rampant in the world. I guess the family had to fight to have it changed to that he was drowned rather than died because of COVID-19. A demonic enemy works at desensitizing us to what the truth is by slamming us over and over and over with lies. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? We get slammed in every area of life now. It's lies, lies, lies. Friends, we need to examine facts and weigh them for ourselves with the virus and this coming election and everything out there, would you agree? We need to be watching, discerning, and praying. We need the facts so that we're not driven by fear or lies. We are to watch and pray to keep our eyes open and our spiritual antennas up. Fear is demonically energized to advance agendas. We must have God's discernment and to be on guard and to pray like never before. Can I get an amen this morning? We need to be watchmen on the wall. There is never, ever a time like this where we must be praying people. Again, let's make that more of a time thing each day than less if we can possibly do it. The winning side is the followers of Jesus Christ and his church in the earth. Many, though, are choked out, hallelujah, or uh, checked out, I should say, or they're on personal leave from their place in the body of Christ. Many have even left the battlefield. I'm not talking about just here. I'm talking about on a worldwide level. People have checked out. And a lot of them just quit and le left the army. And again, we talked about this a number of weeks ago with the, the last day's great global falling away. And of course, none of us really would ever really want to choose that to be our, our epitaph. Uh, we would rather be known for something else than that. But we need to be watchmen on the wall. So never forget, my friends, this morning that we are in a war, but we are on the right side, amen, and we're on the winning side. Don't ever forget that. We are on the right side, and we're on the winning side. The winning side is the followers of Jesus Christ and his church. That makes us on the winning side then. Uh, in the earth, many, though, are checked out, and they're on personal leave. We already said that, but many churches are still shut down. I believe, I don't know every little detail, but I think there's still churches in this city that are shut down. Do you know, Jerry, or not? I don't know for sure, but a lot of the mainline churches are shut down. I heard of one the other day, uh, a Presbyterian church in another big city in another state that had been started back in like 1867 has closed its doors and will never open again. 
Now, I'll, if they were preaching the gospel or not, I don't know. But it was home to Christians for 130-some years, and it's no longer there. Now there's churches that uh, people are walking around, wandering around out there. They have no leadership. They have n nothing other than what they can find on their own. And, folks, that's a recipe for disaster, amen? That's a recipe to disa for disaster. Hallelujah. Many believers are just wandering around, and they don't know where to turn. It's not wise to downplay the importance of the church. And the ordinances of the church, especially now in this hour, as you well know, part of what's been going on out there is an effort to silence the churches. You know, I mean, again, the, the virus is real. We're not saying that it's not. But when businesses are open and churches are shut down, there's something wrong with that. And again, so watch, discern, and pray. We need to be praying about these things. Thank God we're open here. Thank God, even if it's just a handful, a remnant at this time, we're open and there's a possibility, an opportunity for people to step into that. You, we buy internet today. I don't know where you're watching from, but if you're out of church, you're having trouble with your church, you want to go to a place where there's a revival going on, where there's, where there's a gospels being preached, I encourage you to come to Gospel of Life Church in Northfield, Minnesota. You'll find a great home here and a place where you can worship God and have a family and hear the gospel preached and taught every single week here. Hallelujah. Now, I and many of you folks have given our lives to the church, and even though it's been very difficult at times, I don't regret one minute of it. Do you regret any minutes you've ever been involved in God's church? Hallelujah. You might have been discouraged many times. You might have felt like this or that, but I am not regretting the fact that I joined the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And what it really boils down to is that it's his life for me and mine for him. Amen. His life for me and mine for him. That is really... The, the great exchange, the gospel message. And remember this also, we sang about it this morning. The bride of Christ is not perfect, but she is his bride, and he loves her, amen. <laughs> I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, nobody is perfect, but the bride is his bride, and he loves her, praise God, hallelujah. And in the midst of all the trouble and even the slumber, I believe that the Lord is getting ready for a last day's outpouring of his spirit. And boy, do we need it. Amen. Boy, do we need it. How many are ready for it? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There will be a holy remnant. Again, it could be groups like us spread across the whole nation, around the world. Small groups, believing people that are hungry for God, that are willing to do his bidding, going his way and no other way, that he is going to bring forth a remnant into a great last day's outpouring that's going to touch the nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they're going to be conformed to the Father's heart and to following Christ and his word and the true 
gospel message. That's what's going to fuel this remnant church. So again, that puts us right in line, I believe, for what God's going to do. God also has a plan, I believe, for restoring his vision for the temple of the Lord. It started in the Old Testament and has carried forward now into the New Testament. Because God never changes, amen. He is steady and he's true. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? The Old Testament temple was much more than just a place to worship. It was a gathering place for identity and relationship for the people. Folks, we can identify here with the Lord. We can identify with one another, like-hearted, like-minded believers. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's a place to build relationships. That's why one of the reasons why God has made the temple and now the New Testament church. The temple and the church is what? Our home. It was also a resource center for the nation back in the Old Testament. It was a storehouse to provide resources for all the people. They were essential then and today. Would you agree? These, we, these things that go on here, that are supposed to go on here, are essential for every one of us. Now, the first one is spiritual resources. We see this in the book of Malachi, the second chapter and the seventh verse. And it says, For the lips of a priest uh, should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. It is now the pastors in the New Testament church. The preachers then, are the priests then, the pastors now to bring forth the law, the word of God from their mouths. That's one of the reasons why we have church. From the beginning, God intended for the temple to be a center where his designated priests could communicate revelation about God to the people. Amen. Then and now, it's the same blueprint carried forward into the New Testament as it was then. The priest brought forth revelation. We as pastors and teachers bring forth revelation to the people of God as we gather in God's house. Can I get an amen? Isaiah 2, verse 3 this morning. Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The law and the word going forth to the people of God once again. Friends, this is still God's vision for the New Testament church. The temple was also a place of glorious worship, a place to sense God's presence and sacrifice in song. That's why we worship here. That's why we just did it again this morning, to enter into his marvelous presence where all things become possible in the temple and in the church. Would you agree with that this morning? <coughs> Excuse me. 
There was material resources in the temple. The Old Testament temple functioned as the welfare program for the nation. Did you know that? It functioned as the welfare program for the entire nation, the temple. The hungry came there for food in times of need. The poor found sustenance and help in the house of God. Some people, though, today, I don't know, I don't believe that's the case here, but it certainly is out there and at, at large, is that some people today still argue on whether or not the tithe is New Testament or not. But, folks, that's really a silly argument. It really is. There was and there still remains a purpose for the tithe, and it's not about law or grace. That's not what it's about. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be what? Food in my house. Bring the whole tithe so that there may be food in my house. He didn't need their money or their food, but the temple, what? Required maintenance, just as any physical structure does. And the priests that served then and now needed a means to make a living. Would you agree? That's how God set this all up. But above all, there needed to be food and resources in the Lord's house to take care of the poor and the needy. Just think about that. Bring the whole tithe in. Bring all of it, the food, uh, everything that you have. Uh, we're going to look at it farther here in a bit in the book of Acts when they, they brought everything together and they shared everything together. But the needs were met. The welfare system functioned. The needs of all the people were met through the temple. It should be the same through the New Testament church. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This was the reason for the tithe. Selfless surrender and not personal gain or holding back anything from God. God's love found wonderful expressions through the temple, a physical, visible center that people could identify and know where to come for help. We've got to make it that way again, folks. We've got to make it that way again, where this is where you can come for help. You need salvation? Come. You need healing? Come. You need deliverance? Come. You need food? Come. You need clothing? Come. You need relationship building? Come to the house of God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And again, this is God's vision and heart for the New Testament church. There was healing resources in the temple. Of course, we talk about that all the time. That came out here this morning. Leviticus chapters 13, 14, and 15 tell how uh, to deal with leprosy and various bodily discharges. God intended the temple to be a healing center, not just physical, but spiritual for the issues of sin, for repentance and change. There it is again. Repent. Repent. Come, change. Turn and follow me. Go my way. Go this way. 
This is what I want my church to look like. This is how it should function. This is how I set it up here as the temple. This is how I want it to be for the New Testament. Can I get an amen? It's very simple. The roadmap, God's Bible to us. Basic construction before believing earth. B-I-B-L-E is again showing us very clearly what God has for us. Relational resources were available in the temple. Just think about that. If you lose church, if you if you quit church, if if churches quit, there's nowhere the people to go. You lose in a lot of ways all of your relational resources, especially now where people are distancing and some people don't feel comfortable to be around other people. They're basically on their own in a lot of ways. But relational resources were available in the temple. They and we need relationships, amen? No one is exempt from this. I need relationships. You need relationships. We need godly relationships. We don't need relationships with the devil's brother and sister, but we need relationships with godly men and women and leaders in God's church. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. We need that, folks. And for it to be whole and healthy, hear this now, and for it to be whole and healthy, it's a three-way thing. You, me, and God. You, me, and God in oneness, together in oneness, amen? That is God's plan for relational resources in the temple and in the church. Every one of us needs people who are committed to walk with us and to know us and to speak into our lives and to stand with us in times of trouble or need. Think about that. I have relationships all around the nation and even around the world in some ways that I speak with, pray with, receive instruction from on a regular basis. We all communicate and relate one another as people are led to do so. Nobody wants to pry things out of people, but this should be a safe place where people can talk about things. They can relate to one another and be safe here. Amen? This has got to be a safe house as well as anything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God designed the temple as a rallying place for covenant connections. This is where we make covenant connections. People found one another at the temple. It was everybody's home where friends connected and life was shared. Hallelujah. I miss our meals together, amen. Hopefully we can start doing that again. Hallelujah. Otherwise, we'll all have to get a burger down at McDonald's and social distance on the sidewalk or something. I'm just kidding, of course, but breaking of bread, fellowshipping, relationships, all these things that go along with what God wants in his house. Now in Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, it says this, A father of the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. 
but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Oh, man. We don't want to be rebellious. We don't want to be on the outside looking in. God's words to us directly, it's a rebellious place, which is a dry land, parched, no water, no food, no relationships. It's a bad spot. We need to be inside where God's design plan is functioning. Remember also the Bible tells us that the spirit of rebellion is what? As the spirit of witchcraft. Not good. If you have rebellion in your heart, if you have rebellious acts and nature, I would recommend, as I would to myself, repent. Go before the Lord, repent, because otherwise he says that any of us would be operating in witchcraft. In Hebrew, the, the interpretation of habitation referred to the temple, the place where God made his name to dwell. The New Testament carries on with every one of those temple functions and carries them even farther. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Acts. To the second chapter. And we're going to be looking at verses 42 down through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And it reads like this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. I believe the interpretation there, folks, is that as they did the will of God, the fear of God came on them. They experienced the fear and awe of the living God in their midst. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look at what the Lord did. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Is it possible? The Lord spoke this to my heart when I was making this message and reading this. Is it possible that we're not seeing people getting saved we're not seeing the functioning of the church the way it should be is because we're walking around outside of God's will for how his church should function. Is it possible that we're harboring things in our hearts and doing things outside of the will of God that is causing him to hold back from him coming in? Here's a perfect example of it. Let me read that again this morning. And they continued steadfastly, meaning that they, they did it continually. They did not stop. Nothing changed. In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The apostles' doctrine was the cross of Christ, amen. It was Jesus Christ 
and him crucified. It was, it was getting saved and following Jesus. That was the apostles' doctrine, and they were in fellowship steadfastly and in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then the fear and awe of God came upon them. As a result, they even went deeper into the things of God, and suddenly God started adding to their numbers supernaturally. I was telling Joan before the service started today, I said, you know, we talk about revival all the time around here. I even mentioned it again this morning. I think it was part of that word this morning also, is that we definitely want revival. But, folks, what we want is we want personal revival. We need personal revival, personal heart operations, personal uh, mood and mindset operations so that we can ultimately move towards what I really believe we need is a movement. We don't need just a revival. We need a movement. And when I say that, I refer back to which I was not part of it because I came in a little too late. But some of you will probably know well what I'm talking about. But we need to not go back and do it the same way because God isn't going to do anything the same way. He is always doing new things. But we need another Jesus people movement. We need a movement that sweeps souls into the kingdom. The way it's working now is far and few between. Even in a world that is so lost and so dark, winning souls is tough. And yet we've still got to keep at it. But I'm asking the Lord to provide a movement similar to the Jesus People movement. It was said that somebody could stand on a street corner and just mention the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, supernaturally, there was like 50 to 100 people there wanting to hear about Jesus. They got saved by the thousands and thousands. I saw a clip recently of some of the early days on the beaches in California, thousands upon thousands of people being baptized in the, in the uh, Pacific Ocean, people playing guitars, singing, taking communion. It was a glorious time. It was one of those times that you would just love and dream about, amen. One of those times where everybody is so filled with joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Hallelujah. We need that again, folks, by Internet. You need a movement of God. We need a movement of God. We need to believe and watch and pray for it. We need to discern that they're not coming in in droves. They're trickling in, at least in this nation. I know in other nations there's great revival, a movement going on. But why is it stopped up here? What is holding it back? Are some of the things we're reading today, are some of the things we're talking about today, like taking the stopper out of a, out of a bottle and letting God out, so to speak. We need to uncork the bottle. We need to uncork the church. We need to uncork our hearts to the things of God and let God be God and believe that supernaturally he's going to sweep souls into the kingdom in these last days. Does anybody stand with my thinking on that at all? That's what we need. We don't need a trickle. We need that Ezekiel 47 river. Hallelujah. Praise God. So anyway, we read that, and it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was in a sense of awe, and many signs and wonders were taking place. Folks, we do what we're supposed to do. God's going to do what he's supposed to do. I guarantee it. He will do it. We've got to get ourselves revived personally so we can have a corporate move of the Spirit. Do whatever it takes to get right with God. Get on your knees, cry, weep before the altar of God, whatever, and just lay it all down. Pick up your cross and follow me. Lay it all down, even the good things, and give it all to God and say, Lord, here I am. Revive me that we might see a movement of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our city and in the region and even the nations of the world. Let it come like that mighty river. Hallelujah. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Things were shared as the people and the church had need. Day by day continuing with one mind and taking meals together, fellowship, praising God, and having favor with all the people. Think about that. Favor with all the people. That means the lost even. That means standing on a street corner and saying, Jesus, and woof, all of a sudden there's 50 people there. That's a movement of God. That's a sign and a wonder. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And again, and then the Lord was adding to their numbers day after day after day after day after day. Spiritual resources, material resources, healing resources, and relational resources. It's God's plan, folks. It's His will. It's God's blueprint for the Old Testament temple, and now it becomes the blueprint for the New Testament church. There is one more thing, though, to this New Testament church. Even though physical buildings remain important, just like this one we have, God has chosen to dwell in a temple not made with human hands. Amen? In 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, talking about us, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The issue of God's temple today is just as precious to him as it was in the Old Testament. The temple, the church, remains the chosen instrument of God to show and to give his love in this world. Can I get an amen? This is his expression of love to show the world. The church is a visible sign of who he is. So let me say this today. That beautiful sign up there, that's a sign. But even more so is his love in us to show to the world. Church, it's time to rally. It's time to rally up. It's time to get fired up if you're passionate again, amen? It's time to really be the New Testament church. It's time to get on fire. 
It's time to feel the flames lapping at your rear side and get on fire for God. Hallelujah. To put a little turpentine. My grandpa told me, you wonder why I do some of the things that I do. Well, I found out about my grandpa and what he did. When they were kids, they used to get a hold of sticks of dynamite and put them under the sidewalk and blow up sidewalks. They used to take turpentine and then tie it a string of cans, tin cans, on a dog's tail and pour turpentine on his rear end. And then he'd run, and you'd hear those cans wagging for miles. Now, I don't do that. That's not what I learned from my grandpa. But see, even goofy stuff can come down through the generational lines. That's why I do some of the funny things that I do sometimes. Michael says I should do more, but I don't know. I told him I think I do enough already. But anyway, but the thing is, is that he and they can see what kind of things are going on in the hearts and the lives of God's people inside the building to be able to pour his love out to a lost and dying world. So hear me, friends, today. We are here, as God, John has been saying it, uh, several weeks I've been saying it, but we are open here at Gospel of Life Family Church. We preach the gospel. We are a church where you can come and feel welcome and find a real, true, God-centered home. This is a place where you can come, pitch in, do your part. I pitch in. We all pitch in. We do our part. The body has many members, amen, all working together so that nothing is out of joint or not out of place, amen. So let's fight for the church and those who God called his placed leaders. It's time to run to God and away from the enemy. Run to God, friends, and away from the enemy. Run home to God and his house of life. Hallelujah this morning. Now we just got a little bit more. This is kind of like a tag on, an add on. But I think it's going to be worth the time to do it another five minutes or so. Now Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, verse five, of chapter 5, I should say, verses 1 through 9, what was told to the early church about the last days. And, of course, we've been preaching on that a lot. You've been hearing all kinds of stuff about the last days. But if you'll turn in your Bibles right now to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, it's going to take just a minute or so here, but it'll be worth the time to do this this morning. This is Paul talking to the early church about the end days. So in other words, he was already saying they were started then, but how about now? We're a whole lot deeper, amen? But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. 
and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and a helmet, the hope of salvation. The God, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful exhortation from Paul. But Jesus also talked about the thief that Paul talks about here and the breaking in of one's house. Now, if you or I know that there was a thief in our neighborhood, wouldn't we be watching and do whatever it took to keep the thief out of our home? Amen? Wouldn't we do that? We, we would do that, right? Now, Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And I know you know that. And again in 1 Corinthians uh, 3.9, Paul says this, You, me, and we are God's building. In other words, you and I are God's house. We are the house. So this church, this structure that we're in today, is not, it's just only a building, folks. We meet in it. But we, you and I, are God's house. Have you ever thought about it that way before? You and I are God's house. So now with this understanding, this is a huge question. Think about this. With this understanding now, which is the house that the thief is trying to break into? He's trying to break into you and me. The enemy is trying to break into you and me, into our minds, into our emotions, into our spiritual understanding of not knowing the truth and believing the lie, the, the deception, the fear rhetoric, all those kind of things trying to break in and confuse and distort things within us. We are the house. We are the temple of God. We are the place of God's dwelling. We are the place of God's glory. We are called to bring glory to God because of the life and light inside of these, our earthen vessels. So we are the house, and the devil will do everything in his power to break into us in this very dark hour we are in. We really need to get this today, folks. He's going to do everything and has been doing everything through what we watch, what we hear, what we read, what we're told, where we trod, all these things. He's trying constantly, 24-7, to break in to the house and destroy it. That's his job. That's what he does. 
Hallelujah. So let's get on the wall. Let's watch, discern, and pray. Let's get into God's dwelling for his people, the church. And let's take our place, every single one of us, in the army of God. And find his peace, his safety, and the resources he has made available to anyone who was searching. Glory to God. And I'll end with that this morning. Joan, if you'd be willing to come back this morning. Hallelujah.